0: Welcome to On The Way, a podcast to help you make a meaningful connection with Jesus every day in the midst of your day-to-day. On this week's episode, I may interview clinical social worker Cooley Gaffigan. They discuss some of the root causes of shame, the effect it can have on people's lives, and how we can partner with God, with community, to rise. Enjoy. Enjoy. Welcome to this episode of the On The Way podcast. I'm so glad to be able to host uh, Cooley Gaffigan with us today. Uh, Welcome, Cooley. Thank you. Uh, Cooley, tell us, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself.
1: Uh, I am someone who has gone to this church for probably three years, Um, but I've been in church in this area for 40 plus and... I do therapy for a living with people. I'm a clinical social worker okay. in Chapel Hill.
0: And how long have you been in that field?
1: For 23 years.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. How often does shame come up in that context?
1: Uh, it comes up regularly. Not many people come in saying, I'm really here to talk about my shame. <laughs> <laughs> but it is It is a sort of underneath problem for many things anxiety um, depression anger loneliness all kinds of things
0: Mm. so it sounds like while there may be other presenting issues sometimes under the surface a root cause is shame
1: yes yes and part of the reason that i think people don't come in talking about shame is a Shame mainly thrives in secrecy and not talking about it. Um, So people don't even want to know that they have it, Hmm. much less be willing to say, you know, I have this issue with shame. They don't even want to let themselves know they have it.
0: Hmm. Why do you think there's such a stigma around shame?
1: Um, I think by the very nature of it, shame has to do with this intensely painful feeling that we're unlovable Mm. and that we're so unlovable that we can't be connected with, that we're not worthy of being connected with um, by other people. So we want to hide that because we all, I think, want connection somewhere. We all want to be loved. So, yeah, I mean, we just don't even want to think about the fact that we feel so unlovable.
0: Mm. And yet by ignoring it, it doesn't make it go away now, does it?
1: it actually makes it thrive yeah
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's sad um, now we've talked about shame being different from guilt because guilt is associated to actions where shame sort of becomes a place where we source our identity from where it can get attached to our identity um, are there things that you've noticed that that facilitate the turn sometimes from things people do or actions that are taken upon people that that, that caused people to grab onto it and, and have it become a source of identity. So where it, that makes a turn from guilt or even uh, not even guilt, but an action that was taken on someone to then become a place of shame.
1: Uh, yes, I think I think that as I was thinking about the sort of common sources of shame, mm-hmm. I was kind of amazed at, how many things I could think of, examples I could think of, of things that people feel shame about and have come into my office and voiced shame about. And I realize that the, the common denominator seems to be when what they've done or who they are um, is seen as unworthy or judged or someone has voiced contempt for that. Um, and a frequent cause um, of shame is abuse, mm. um, verbal, physical, sexual. But for most uh, or many abused folk, it's not so much about what most people think it is. Um, in sexual abuse, for example, it's not so much what happened sexually as it is the shame hmm. that the person feels as a result of having been the one who either allowed it or was picked as, as the person, you know, on whom it was perpetrated. And so then you start to feel like, well, there's something wrong with me
2: mm-hmm.
1: or I was weak or something, in other words, some defect in me
2: mm-hmm.
1: created this. And it's the shame about it. And the silence that you have with that shame and no one wanting to talk about it or acknowledge it that really in my view does a lot more damage than the actual thing itself so I mean you can I was thinking about the fact that when I was a kid I was a very very sensitive kid and I mean I could even cry at a piece of music when I was a little person mm. um, and for various reasons as I grew up, instead of that sensitivity being put in some kind of context where it was seen as a good thing, um, there was a lot of talk amongst the people in my life about how I was overly sensitive or if something moved me, why are you always so sensitive? Why, Why are you emotional or whatever? And I realized once I kind of had walked with the Lord for a while, that that was part of how he made me mm-hmm. and that my ability to have that kind of empathy or those emotions was part of what made me who I am, but I felt shame about it for a long time, Yeah, you know, as though I were weak or something.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like it's not just about the, the moment or the event or the situation. Uh, it sounds like how how we interpret it or how others interpret it for us influences whether something makes the turn towards shame.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think even something that we think of as normally good, when you're a kid and you give the right answer in class, you know, instead of thinking, okay, I'm a smart kid, or I knew the right answer, if everybody, including the teachers, starts saying that you're smarty pants... Mm -hmm that you're a smart Alec, rather than coming to you sort of privately and saying, okay, I know you know everything, <laughs> but here's a better way to kind of give other people a turn so that they give you a context for how to handle who you are
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, in a way that makes others feel included. Um, if they don't do that, you feel like there's something wrong
2: mm. with
1: even something that's normally considered good, like being smart or studious. Mm.
0: You know, we've talked a little bit about some of the root causes of shame, and some of them can even be rooted at, at a very young age. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we don't always relive the same exact experience that caused our shame. Um, does it does Does an experience need to be uh, the same in the present time or in the future for it to trigger that shame, or can can like a benign comment uh, trigger shame? Uh,
1: a benign comment can trigger shame. Um... I think that the example that, that I used about the really smart kid, um, I have seen it cause people when they are adult um, who have really good things to share, um, they just don't. Mm-hmm. And when they're sort of, if they're called on to, to sort of give their opinion about something and somebody even rolls their eyes because invariably there's an eye roller in every group. Sure. Um, the person just clams up and won't ever share the good thing that they have or the thing that they know that they're expert in, um, in that kind of group context again, because it doesn't feel safe to do it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really intriguing then because that means that that, um, that a moment or a situation that is grounded in a point in history for a person can come up throughout their whole lives. Yes. If it's a shame, if it's not uh, addressed or dealt with, and sometimes even if it's addressed or dealt with. Um, I mean, that makes it sound like like shame has a really significant impact on people in in, in some ways in very limiting ways.
1: Yes. I mean, and I think that's why when you asked how, how often it comes up in my work, really all the time is not, I don't think an overstatement. It's um, I, I've even recently just been working with somebody who has a lot of anger issues, and finally, sort of, you know, was was speaking about the fact that shame is often underneath a lot of anger, um, and that really kind of resonates for a lot of the people I know that tend to have anger issue or issues or anxiety issues is that underneath it all is just this desire to make sure nobody sees what you really feel is true of
0: you. Mm-hmm.
1: So you either lash out or you're constantly worried that somebody's going to find out who you really are. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. I, I found that since you mentioned anger, like I found that, that that's been true to, for me. There have been times where anger has been sort of a defense mechanism when Absolutely. I feel like Uh, Like uh, a source of shame for me is Mm -hmm. getting broached or is getting uh, it's it's being approached in part because the anger gives me a sense of control. Yes, Uh, it it gives me a sense that I can I can dominate a situation. Therefore, I can protect that place of shame from being exposed. Right. Uh, In in a way, I'm keeping myself from being vulnerable.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's sort of the idea of the best. Um, defense as a good offense. Mm-hmm. I mean, or, you know, sort of flip that around, I think is, is some people just think, okay, rather than just get defensive, I'm going to go on the offense and I'm going to attack. Mm-hmm. And if I come at you real hard, you'll never, um, get to see this vulnerability that I have.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I shift yeah. the attention away from me. Exactly. Wow.
1: Yeah.
0: Wow. That, that sounds like it could have crippling impact or a crippling effect on people throughout their lives. Like it, I affect, think it does. Yeah, relationships, oh, jobs, I think it does. Um, performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And, and I think, I, I mean, the problem is, is that if, if somebody is dealing with shame and they do what I think is maybe more common when people think about shame, they hide mm-hmm. or they avoid, they're disconnecting from those around them. And when they get angry they're also pushing people away. So the effect of shame is invariably isolating mm-hmm. and disconnecting, um, which I think is the antithesis of what we're supposed to be doing. I think, I think we're called to be in loving relationship with each other. And yeah, that's why I think it's such a, a really pernicious kind of awful thing that we need to kind of try to identify and deal with
0: if we can. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was remembering, I, I knew of a situation where what I, what I saw once I took a step back was that, uh, a person's shame was rooted in a relationship with a, with a loved one, a family member. And the, the reason that that had caused shame on the person I knew was because that adult was hiding some of their shame.
1: Absolutely. Uh, yes.
0: And this was yes. particular in, in, I'm from Puerto Rico and in our culture, uh, at least when I was growing up, mental health was not something you talked about and particularly right. seeking out help for mental health uh, right. was not something you talked about. So the person I knew uh, was having some mental health needs and uh, their parent was sort of disconnecting even when mm-hmm. when uh, when my friend pursued help. and it came out a few years later that their parent had very similar mental health issues. And in the shame that they were feeling had disconnected, which had caused my friend to yes. feel shame. So it yes. became sort of like uh, about the same issue, an opportunity that a could real have been cycle. A, yeah, yeah. a freeing opportunity mm-hmm. became sort of they, they passed down shame.
1: Yes. It's like an it becomes like an intergenerational. Some people call it a curse. I mean, I suppose figuratively, at least it is that in the sense that we do transmit it. Um, from parent to child or family member to family member a lot of the time. And I think what I experience still is that particularly when a child is having mental health struggles, a lot of parents who carry shame are also just sure that the kid is going to go into a therapist's office and talk about all the ways their parent has messed them up, Mm. which just confirms the, you know, sort of reaffirms the shame cycle.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you, you mentioned that. I remember it sort of the opposite side of that. I uh, I had a professor who talked about that when they started having kids, um, they in, in addition to setting up a college fund, they set up a therapy fund for their kids. <laughs> <laughs> and just sort of normalized, you, you know.
1: Wise parents. Yes. <laughs>
0: this sense is like, well, we're not going to get it always right. And hopefully <clears throat> right. It never, you never need it. But if you do, yes. then here, yes. here you go.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Now, I think that's, I mean, that's a, a nice and funny kind of way to look at it. But I think that's part of it is if you can accept that what I, and this is what I find is difficult for all of us is I had somebody once uh, come back when I was in another church and doing a prayer team thing. And somebody came back and they said something about being, feeling as though they were such a mess. And I just looked at them and I said, we all are, (laughs) And the person just sort of looked at me and said, wow, you say that so matter-of-factly? I said, I believe it. Um, And they were like, oh, well, maybe, maybe, maybe that's the problem, that I need to quit trying to be such a mess. And I said, well, you can keep doing it, but it's pretty exhausting. Yeah. You know? And so I think the more we're able to kind of help each other, kind of come out into the light and realize that we all have our messy stuff. We all have our things that we would rather hide. Um, it's some, There's something about bringing things out into the open and talking about them, kind of how light kind of dissipates and, and kills mold. Yeah. It sort of makes it, you know, go away. Shame,
0: yeah. that is. Yeah. Some of the power that shame has is from being kept hidden, and so a natural step is for things that we think might be sources of shame to just bring them into the light, to just talk Mm -hmm. about them. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the story you just mentioned is a great example of how just speaking it out sort of defangs a source of shame,
1: takes the sting out. But
0: but there are places where we might not know that we're feeling shame. We might suspect it. We might not know. We certainly might not know what the root cause is. Or what the sources of that shame? So, like, what other what what can we do to help identify sources of shame in our lives?
1: Well, I think for one thing, um, when we notice those areas that make us feel that instant pang of either wanting to hide, hmm. or we feel suddenly angry, as you've already mentioned. Yeah. Um, That usually tells us something about identity. Okay. You know what really matters to us, who we think we are, Um, and it usually is to me. It's kind of just a a red flag to say, okay, pay attention to this. You know, I get I get really mad. um, I'm just hypothetically saying if somebody says, oh, I get really mad when people treat me as if I'm stupid. Well, that's something to look at as as maybe there's a source of shame around the fact that you didn't feel that you had um, anything that was smart enough to say Mm -hmm. that you were less than in terms of your intelligence. Um, And if people feel, you know, that they're either hiding or angry, I'd say, you know, get with, with God and yourself first and then kind of start looking at it and then if you have a trusted friend that you feel is going to be able to talk with you with empathy and not judgment because that's pretty key Mm -hmm. um then you can start looking at it and i think that that will help heal what's going on
0: Hmm. it sounds like we need a degree of self-awareness to be able to (laughs) (laughs) find sources of shame
1: absolutely I i think it also though helps if We have somebody who's willing to take the time to know us well and very gently kind of accompany us along the path that I hope we're all trying to be on, which is to know ourselves better. Because to me, that's a huge part that's not talked about much about how we know God, too.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like an invitation to vulnerability.
1: It is, <laughs> which is pretty scary. Yeah, for most of us. Yeah, but I think it's, I, I think there's a healthy vulnerability, and I think there's a not so healthy vulnerability. Okay. But same word. We're getting that. kind yeah. of mm, okay. Um, I don't want to get too far in the weeds here, but I think that um, healthy vulnerability is sort of having some kind of sense of how we know that we're safe and okay Mm -hmm. enough to let other people see us as we are. Um, I do think that that's a big part for me in my own life. For example, the, the way I ever started making progress on that was, was really just holding on for dear life to what, and who God said I was rather than messages. You know, I may have gotten up to that point. Um, And I think that if we can kind of reflect back to each other, that we are in loving relationship that makes vulnerability more possible um, and safer Mm -hmm. and healthier. If however, we're around people who haven't dealt with their own, usually sources of shame Mm -hmm. um, and vulnerability is kind of not really understood by other people that we're around. We can just, when we're vulnerable, we can actually make things worse. Okay. And, or we go out there and just throw all of our most intimate selves out there for public consumption to people who really aren't aren't psychologically and emotionally safe enough for us to do that it's also a burden for other people
2: mm-hmm.
1: honestly to to have your most intimate self come come at them yeah um and i think there needs to be this sort of scaffolding and undergirding foundation of a relationship usually or at least some reason to be able to trust the other folk that you're around yeah. to be able to share
0: yeah, it, it, it sounds like there are sort of two levels of analysis or discernment or, you know, wisdom, if we want to use that language that we need to have. First is a self one, mm-hmm. uh, which is, do I feel safe and seen enough to share a part of this? Mm-hmm. Which is a good contrast to, or a good word to speak to those of us who think that being vulnerable falls into immediately into the category of being an over-sharer. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so I guess right. thinking, oh, no, I, I clearly have a filter, a moment where, where I'm considering whether or not to share. Right. Uh, that's a good sort of stopgap or a good, a good moment to think, okay, no, I'm actually choosing vulnerability.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then on the other side of that, there's also a, a moment of discernment or filtering that we need to have in looking out at the people around us. Yes. So it's first, is it is this the type of place where it's safe for me to share? Or, and, or is right. it right for me to share? That moment, even that moment of analysis tells us that we're thinking about healthy vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And then the other one yes. is, are the people around me in the right space or in the right frame of mind or even the right maturity to receive what I'm going to share? Yes,
1: yes. And I think I think that kind of dual awareness of yourself and others is good in all kinds of contexts but particularly when you're trying to share something that's important or intimate or something that you feel vulnerable about Um, I had a friend once who was in the recovery community Mm -hmm. and the way she used to tell some of the folks that we worked with about going to meetings was, she said you know she was talking about how to find a sponsor or how to share in a meeting and most of the folks we were talking to didn't feel safe anywhere, mm-hmm. really. And she was was really um, gentle about telling them, "Look, start first with sharing something that really doesn't matter mm-hmm. much to
0: you—a dip your toe kind of thing. Kind
1: of a dip your toe, and see how much of that information gets." kind of back to you. In other words, if people are all gossiping about it and talking about it, can you believe they're from such and such a place or whatever? She said, you might know that that's not the safest group to share with. (laughs) If, on the other hand, the person or the group um, is kind of like a tomb with your information and they keep it to themselves and they can hold your confidence, then you can try with something that's a bit more important and so on. Do you get to, you know... Who you're dealing with. This is when we're talking about people that are strangers to yeah. us. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's that's a really important word. And I'm, I'm really glad we took a moment to talk about this because some of the people that I've encountered that have difficulty um, so, uh, surfacing their shame or talking about their shame, it's because they've had experiences of mm. sharing it in the past. Yes. And either the people who they shared it with uh, reinforced the shame. Yes. Or they um, they didn't hold the confidence. That's correct. And yeah. so it adds another layer of difficulty so, some ways because if they reinforced it, then there's an additional voice saying, oh, the this, this shame is actually true.
1: That's precisely right. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it just basically um, reaffirms whatever you know that is that you're thinking, oh, this is how I feel about myself. And then the reaction you get again is like, oh, yeah, well, I'm probably better off to just keep this to myself
0: yeah yeah when people don't hold the confidence that actually feeds the the shame because it it leads to more hiding
1: yes because and because a lot of that is about uh it's at least felt as judgment
0: yeah oh that's really intriguing
1: can can you believe that this person said they used to lie a lot
0: Mm -hmm.
1: or can you believe that this person you know Used to cuss like a sailor, or still does, um, and and then they just feel like, oh, I'm a really bad person, or I'm not worthy to be part of this group, or I'm not a good Christian, or whatever it would be.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? we're already scratching the surface of this, but what what other advice would you give to people who are who are longing to rise out of shame?
1: Hmm. Um. I think that one thing I would say first is try to be a person who is safe for others, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: who expresses real interest and empathy for others Mm -hmm. as they're sharing who they are and what they're about. And I think the other thing is to try to take baby steps, you know, and try to find people or someone, anyone, person. Um, That's why so many people actually come to a a therapist, because one of the first things that I tell people, even when they're, they're signing their initial paperwork, is if somebody asks me if I know you. I, I can't say that I do without your permission. Mm-hmm. So what you share with me stays with me until you tell me it's okay to, to talk to someone else that you would have me talk to. Mm-hmm. In other words, I give the person the sort of control, let's just say, or choice is mm-hmm. how I prefer to think of it, some voice um, that they didn't have when probably those originally shaming things happen to them. You know, when your parent says to you, why are you such a crybaby? The kid doesn't have any idea what to do with that information and doesn't have any choice about it. Mm -hmm. And then they go and the parent says, oh yeah, you know, little Johnny is such a crybaby. Yeah. Um, So if you can start with people who are safe, who will keep your confidence if you're in a small group. I think one of the things that um, when we talked about this in the small group context um, before is that is that I think small groups can be um, or they can become a safe place for people to share things. But I think that has to always be predicated on the idea that what's said in the group stays in the group. hmm and that it is not your information to share. Mm. It's that person's information to share. Yeah. So if someone says something in the group and you have a response to it, try to, to keep that response between you and the person, or at the very least you and the group, um, because essentially you're taking somebody else's information and not giving them a choice mm-hmm. about how it gets used. And I think that as we become kind of safer people to be around, safer emotionally and psychologically is what I mean, um, then I think it is really a help. It's like a a huge boost into the light for all of us who are trying to be more transparent, more who we were made to be. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I think that and also reminding each other that That when we feel we're this or we're that, um, that's not good, that's not worthy, that as believers, Jesus has taken care of that Hmm. in the sense that that's that whole passage in Hebrews 12, too, about, you know, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He took our shame so that we could boldly now live our lives Mm -hmm. and come before him. And I think to remind each other that that's true and remind ourselves when we feel judgment. Yeah. Like, how dare we? You know? That's done.
0: You talked about the role Jesus has played in freeing us from our shame. Um, In the present, how does God, like, what role does he play in in helping us break through shame like have you seen god meet people uh, in the midst of shame to bring freedom
1: um i i i think i am very fortunate uh in many ways to do what i do because i i do get to see that i think maybe more often than um many folks might get to do because people are being vulnerable Mm -hmm. um But I think whether it's for myself or for people that I know, it's seeing them really start to actually experience the truth of being beloved. Mm. Especially when they didn't maybe have that experience at all growing up. Um, So it doesn't happen overnight. But the really amazingly cool thing for me is that it really does still happen that people experience the kind of change that God, through the Holy Spirit, through His Word, just makes thing makes the fact that they're not who others have necessarily said they are, that they're who He says they are. Mm-hmm. And seeing... Just the huge difference it makes. People are so disarmed when they start to really think, is it possible? You know, what we learned maybe as little people, Jesus loves me. I mean, we hear it, mm-hmm. but we don't feel it. Mm. And when we start to actually experience, okay, maybe, maybe this is true. I know it in my head, but I'm gonna sort of act as if, and then we start to over time feel the transformation that happens it's huge it's huge it makes us more able to be loving because we can feel freer with it because we have it it's coming from a full place yeah um you know i mean i think most of us have experienced when we don't have a lot of something we get kind of stingy
0: indeed yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to be open handed when you don't feel you've got a lot in exactly. your hands Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, uh, one of the things that's been uh, impressive to me uh, has been seeing the the change that happens in people, at least when it's associated with shame, when they understand or when they finally believe or it dawns on them or they realize that God's definition of certain things is different than how other people presented it to them. So, for example, there might be uh, uh, someone who grows up believing Jesus loves them, but what they understand as love is Mm -hmm. shaped by other people or other experiences, and it might have been a place of shame.
2: Absolutely. So
0: they might believe that Jesus loves them, but that he loves them like other people have loved them, which has been maybe a source of shame. Right. And then when they finally realize, oh, it's a different kind of love, um, one I've seen it—it it them in a sense of, of healing, uh, and then it just sort of—I've seen—I've um, seen their countenance change.
1: That's exactly right. That's what I mean when it's sort of like you actually see it on people's faces—the mm-hmm. transformation. Um, a lot of times, it's, it's accompanied by, laughter or tears or both, because it's that I can't quite believe this kind of moment. Yeah. Um, and that is amazingly powerful. And I think you make a really great point that we all tend to f- sort of equate, I won't say all, m- most of us probably equate um, what we assume God's attitude is toward us and, and loving us as maybe the best that we got. Mm-hmm. Growing up, it's not necessarily our parents, but uh, often is. Um, so it can look like, yes, God loves me, but we really feel he just tolerates me. Yeah. Or as somebody said to me once, yeah, God loves me, but he has to. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we just, it takes a while before we, and part of that is this issue of vulnerability and shame. If we ever can really let ourselves have the experience of bringing the what we think are the crummiest dirtiest yuckiest least desirable things about us into the light of his presence and realizing that he already knew him and he still loves us wildly i think to me that's one of the the best things Um, Not that one has to be a parent, but I think it sure can help sometimes when you realize, oh, this is kind of what the Bible is talking about, because you see these things that your kid did, and if you don't have kids, you can think about things that you did, but it helps when you know that, you know, you're looking at this this person, maybe they're little, maybe they're a grown-up child of yours, and you see these things that they do, and you don't hopefully have anything but love for them and compassion for them (laughs) and you hate the fact that they're feeling bad and they're hiding you don't hate them Mm -hmm. you don't have contempt for them and that's nothing compared to the sort of compassion that God has for us yeah yeah
0: yeah another way I've seen God uh, be in the midst of freeing people from shame is uh, at least for me, is I've seen God take uh, sort of the active opposing role to whatever has been causing me or has been a source of shame to sort of reinforce a positive value. So um, I I grew up, one of my sources of shame was that I was from a single-parent household mm-hmm. and that my father was absent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had a very warped understanding of what it meant to be the son of a father because it was a dysfunctional relationship and it was a source of shame for me and um, a predominant motif in how God speaks to me in the things that resonate for me in scripture or in the images that come to my mind sometimes when I pray are these like these extravagant Relational images of a father and a son.
1: Wow, that's wonderful.
0: And uh, it's it's been really helpful to destroy the place of shame of not being a, a, a worthy son or a lovable right. son or a right. good son. Right. And uh, and I've seen it in other people as well. Where whatever their so, for example, uh, for a number of people that I've served, uh, with a source of shame has been their their image. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. how they look or how they think they look, or how they right. feel about right. how they how look. They look. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes uh, a word from God, and this is both for men and women, has been beautiful. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, yes. that, that way in which God might get at the shame by uh, establishing his positive word. Uh, instead of saying, you know, you're, you're not ugly, though that does happen, or um, or it's okay for you to, to heal from that feeling. It's this this authoritative word throughout yes, their lives of absolutely. you are beautiful, right?
1: And speaking, really the truth of who you are. In your case, you are my son, mm-hmm. and to the person who has you know issues with their appearance, you are beautiful, mm-hmm. and you're gorgeous in my eyes. Mm-hmm. To me. Is of course transforming.
0: Yeah, yeah, and 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 I. This is not to say that it's not right or good to talk about the places of shame. Of course, it's right and good. We've mentioned that, but I am appreciative that 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 approach from God sometimes uh, helps make people feel like they're not a problem to be solved. Yes. Uh, be- yes. Because sometimes, if 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 all our focus is on the thing that causes shame or the place that causes shame or the feelings of shame. And there's, people can start to feel like, Oh, I'm just this broken person. This, which there is some brokenness.
1: Absolutely.
0: But we are not problems to be solved.
1: Exactly. Right. And I think that's part of what, you know, I was referring to earlier. You know, one of the things I had in my mind is that is, is someone, and it could probably have just as easily been many of us, but the person was just thinking of themselves as this broken person um, and to help them realize that that's that's the lie. That's not the last word on who they are, and it's not even the present word on who they Mm -hmm. are. Not only are they becoming, as we all are, I think, somebody that we don't even have any way to know who we're going to be in terms of, the glory Mm -hmm. of it because we're going to be more like him. Um, But to remind that person that that broken identity is part of what got taken care of at the cross Mm -hmm. and that they have a new identity and they have to quit wearing that old uniform and that old identity of who they are if they're going to move forward and start to really experience this this thing that that all of us have i think probably scratched our heads about especially when life has been really hard um is this abundant life concept Mm -hmm. but to me a big part of that is starting to really kind of open up and embrace who god says we are amen yeah
0: amen um let's let's shift for a moment because sometimes we find ourselves in positions of leadership or of influence or even facilitating a conversation uh, what are some do's and don'ts? Some things that are would, are good for us to remember when someone shares something, either during a one-on-one or in a group setting, that is a source of shame for them. Like, what are some of the right moves we can we can make, and what are some things that we should be really careful to not do?
1: Yeah, um, I think that if if we know or, or we assume that shame has a lot to do with feeling like we're unworthy of love and connection and we kind of also can accept the fact that it 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 basically thrives when we have secrets secrecy and silence or not talking about it or judgment any or all of those things i think one of the things that we need to be careful about is we all you just mentioned the subject of shame and everybody kind of shrivels Mm -hmm. because we all have it Mm -hmm. Um, is that when somebody mentions something that about which they have shame and we feel some discomfort I tend to automatically try to remind myself this is probably just a drop in the bucket this discomfort I'm feeling is kind of a drop in the bucket to what this other person has been carrying all this time This sort of discomfort. Um, And I think that we need to listen, be open, be careful to kind of watch our face, Mm -hmm. even our body language, for our own signs of discomfort and try to say, especially when somebody's telling us something that's horrifying. I think rather than sort of shut down because of our own discomfort, because shutting down, again, just confirms and affirms the shame. Yeah. This is too awful. This is too awful. I am too awful for this person to even listen to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm a great believer in just in the moment, you know, shoot up a prayer that Lord Jesus help me be right here with this person. And that comes out of my understanding that empathy, in other words, real genuine connection, is what kills shame mm. to me. If we can really be available and say, oh, I can't even imagine how that must have been for you. Um, if you feel comfortable, tell tell me whatever you're willing to share. And be able to just say or I don't know what to say but that just sounds so so difficult and I really appreciate your being so courageous that you're willing to tell me this and make it uh, again um, I like to think of it when instead of I'm a little, as much as I use the word safe, I don't really like it so much because it's kind of a psychobabble you know, kind of <laughs> armchair psychology kind of word, but at the same time, it's it's that idea that I think um, that another um, psychology person used once of just a holding environment. And I think of the church, um, which has often had the opposite reputation for, for reason, um, for good reason sometimes, should be the ultimate holding environment. And our individual relationships, to me, can be little mini versions of that. In other words, we have to be kind of like, think of it as an embrace mm-hmm. of someone. Like, I'm willing to hold your hand while you share this with me. And of course, you may not be literally holding their hand. But if you can make sure that you're not stunned into silence, Yeah. Um, that you don't avert your gaze, that you don't look like you want to get up and flee, that you don't change the subject because all those things, without necessarily meaning to convey to the person this is too awful, it's too uncomfortable it's you are too like awful mm-hmm. and we're not saying that, but that's the message that it sends. Mm-hmm so i think we have to just you know ask the lord to help us sit with our own discomfort and really enter into it with this person because it could be us if the situations were just reversed a bit you know yeah. it's they're there but for the grace of god go i i mean it really could be switched around yeah
0: now all those things that you mentioned right there at the end that that we should be mindful not to do are all the things that I might feel inclined to do if a person shares something that feels like it's beyond my skill set. For sure. Or, or beyond my capacity. Especially because
1: that might trigger your own shame that I'm not enough to deal with this. Sure. I am not expert enough. Yeah.
0: So so what do we... But, but, but how can we uh, steward the moment mm-hmm. so that we honor the person, don't shut them down, but also direct them towards... Uh, The places where they can get the help that they might need when we can't, when we are clearly uh, unqualified to know how to help or to even uh, do anything in that moment.
1: Well, I think that that's one of those things where we have to be able to, to say to the person, you know, I can listen, but I don't know that I'm really equipped enough to know how to support you in the way that you deserve to be supported wow you know and and maybe this space is not is not adequate Mm -hmm. for you to really be able to kind of get everything out there and and feel like you can sort and sift here's somebody or here are some people that maybe this is what they do and they're very good at it and i want you to feel that you have the best of what you need in order to be able to to get free of what you've been carrying Mm. and in the meantime I'm willing to listen to you pray for you but also let's bring this other person alongside who also might be able to be more specifically helpful
0: that's great that's great it it, for those of us in leadership it sounds especially in pastoral leadership or an organizational leadership um, I'm feeling the, the importance of having a resource bank of folks that mm-hmm. that we know and trust that we can refer people to. Yes,
1: yes. And I mean, and even in my field, in the field of counseling, not all of us are um, equally experienced in a given area. Um, there are certain types of problems. It's not because they're too terrible. It's just because I don't know as much as... You know this other provider over here or this place over here where this is their specialty and this is what they know a lot about. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have more resources to bring to help the person who needs the help. Yeah. Um, so I think that's something we should just be able to not. First, we sort of have to check ourselves and make sure it's not that we just want to be out of the picture.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But if we've done that, And we realized, no, this is really something that's kind of, I'm out of my depth. I think rather than trying to sort of play, you know, amateur psychologist, that we just need to maybe refer somebody either to a pastoral counselor or to an actual therapist for more
0: support for the person. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, Cooley, for joining us today. I appreciate the advice. Folks, if you like what you heard... Uh, share it with someone, subscribe, and let us know uh, what you'd like to continue to hear so we can continue to produce podcasts that help you as you're on the way with Jesus.